Welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who have been successful because they found what they were passionate about, created something special, and most of all, they gave themselves permission to go and do it. The genesis of this podcast is the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place advisors come to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. There's no recipe for a pathway to success. Everyone has their own journey, and it's up to each of us to find the opportunities, your people, or your tribe, the fortitude, and making the right decisions to keep moving forward. Matt Nielsen, who's the co-founder of Kingswood Family Office, circled all of those through his career and more. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for having me, Doug. You have an incredibly interesting story of your journey through financial services and the clients you work with, the choices you made, and I'm excited to share for you to share it with our listeners. But let's start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up and what were some of your influences? I grew up in uh, upstate New York in uh, Saratoga Springs. Uh, many people know it as a, a horse racing town in the summertime. Um, and uh, I grew up, uh, you know, small town upstate. Uh, I was an athlete. I played hockey, baseball, you know, all the sports the kids play, but uh, really had a passion for hockey, which led me to going to prep school in Lake Placid, New York. Uh, so that's where that's kind of where it all began. And uh, that's where the passion for horse racing came in as well. We all know Lake Placid because of the Olympics, and I don't think anybody else knew that before the Olympics happened there. So that's pretty cool. Um, your first entree into financial services was an internship at Donaldson Lovkin Gen Rat when you were in Chicago. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was recruited to play hockey at uh, Lake Forest College in Chicago, and uh, there was a uh, internship uh, with a broker. Uh, who was at DLJ at the time uh, that was kind of passed down from hockey player to hockey player uh, on the team. So uh, when it was my turn, uh, my turn up uh, one semester, my junior year, um, I got the job in Chicago and uh, it was a really great experience. It was a great place to be. It was uh, a lot of fun people, uh, but uh, it also taught me that the wirehouse world probably wasn't as much as I love the financial services, wasn't where I wanted to be. Yeah. After the internship, you had a choice to make a really interesting choice, um, financial services or your interest in law enforcement, two vastly different paths. Yeah. I, um, in college, uh, I, I kind of had a mentor who was a federal agent and he had worked for the ATF and moved over to DEA. And um, through my relationship with him, I uh, took the treasury enforcement exam to be an ATF agent. Uh, and uh, did very well on it. I tested, I think it was top 10% in the country. Uh, he kind of said, uh, as long as I pass the psych, I'm in. And right after that, uh, in the middle of Bill Clinton's Get Tough on Crime campaign, where he added police officers uh, to different cities around the country, um, he put a two-year hiring freeze on federal agents. And the exam was only good for two years. Uh, at that time, I wanted to I was looking to move back to the East Coast and out of Chicago, and um, I kind of pivoted to my old BLJ relationships, 
And uh, at the time they owned the equitable and uh, moved back east and started working for the equitable on the insurance side. Do you ever think back and wonder what your life would be like as a CIA, FBI, ATF agent? Um, well, it would have been an interesting journey. Yeah, at that time, not a lot of people knew what the ATF was. Um, you know, it was kind of a, uh, a quieter agency. People knew FBI and, and Secret Service and DEA. But pre 9-11, you know, they didn't know the ATF as much as we do now. Um, so 9-11 certainly would have would have changed things in that world. Uh, what I really think back now is uh, at my age, uh, I would have retired last year. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so you you didn't love the Midwest and moved back and um, found yourself at the Equitable. What did you learn there? And who did you gain access to as prospects and through your interest and connections? Because it seems as though that's been big throughout your career, career is your, your connections. Yeah, I've always had great connections with people um, that, uh, you know, celebrities, pro athletes. Um, I knew some pro athletes through the horse racing world. Um, my family had owned a lot of horses and I was always around the track. So I had access to a lot of thoroughbred jockeys. And then uh, through referrals, some people in uh, the entertainment field, uh, not in front of the camera, people uh, behind the camera, people I like to say, uh, I'd prefer the clients to get residuals. Uh, so producers, writers, uh, those type of people, I had uh, a lot of access to. What I learned on the Equitable was great at teaching me the insurance side of business, which I still carry with me today. Um, what I didn't like about it was, uh, you know, all the world's financial problems could be solved with a life insurance pro uh, product or an annuity, uh, life insurance policy or an annuity, one or the other. And I knew there was a lot more to this business than that. So uh, that's where I looked to go around to the independent side. Is horse racing as interesting on the inside as it seems to be on the outside from us who watch the Derby and the Preakness and those things? It, it really is. And it's a, you know, kind of a community in and of itself. You know, a lot of people only watch it three days a year. Uh, it, 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 it's so much bigger than that. And I don't think people realize um, the sacrifices these trainers and, and jockeys make, you know, there's no off season for a jockey. Uh, they're at the track five to six days a week. They're there in the morning working horses. They're there in the afternoon you know, racing horses, um, it, it's, it's really their, their lives. Um, and, and there is no off season, uh, you know, unless a guy gets suspended for a few days, there really isn't an off season for them. I just think it's so interesting, especially some of the movies that have just glorified it, um, are some of my favorites, but after the equitable, you spent a number of years at capital guardian and you really enjoyed those years. They were very special to you. Why were they so special and, and what ended your time there? It, it was really the um, all the things that I loved about the business that uh, I didn't have a, a DLJ or didn't find a DLJ. You know, I felt DLJ was very competitive within the office. You know, one broker was always going up against the next broker for clients for production. Capital Guardian was very much a team atmosphere. And I joined a group of other guys. I had some hockey players, some thoroughbred jockeys as clients, sports world, and then I had my entertainment clients. And I got hooked up with a few other people there. We had a Japanese woman that had a bunch of Japanese major league baseball players. Um, we had two other partner, uh, two other partners that had about seventy-five current retired NFL players. 
So we really had a large sports and entertainment practice, which, you know, is, is always exciting to be around. And it's nice to have some crossover events. You know, we had, you know, a bunch of NFL players at opening day at Del Mar, you know, which always a, a new thing to put across those sports over. Um, but it was really a team atmosphere. Uh, we had a CEO, a Capital Guardian, that was very supportive of our group and uh, and allowed us to uh, to do what we needed to uh, to grow our business. Um, so it was really a good place before uh, before it got sold. You know, working with professional athletes seems very glamorous, and the connections and and what you get to do is is very interesting. But it's also very difficult because it's it's a subset of people that get all their money at the beginning of their lives rather than the end of their lives. So planning for them is very different, isn't it? It, it, it is. And it's, you know, I think we don't, we're all the same way. We look at money different when we're in our thirties, forties, fifties, than we did when we we're in our twenties. So trying to talk to somebody that's in their twenties, that's making a lot of money uh, can be a challenge. Talking that amount of buying things can be a challenge. You know, it's certainly with the thoroughbred jockeys, there's also with a lot of them, a language barrier and cultural differences. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's hard to do. Um, you know, having said that, you know, pro athletes and entertainers are only, you know, a small segment of my business. Um, I love being around the track. I love being around uh, uh, jockeys. Uh, I love helping jockeys. They're a little unique compared to uh, other pro sports in that, you know, if you go to the jockey's room, there's not 15 financial advisors trying to get them as clients. You know, you go to Major League Baseball Park or, you know, NFL uh, rookie camp or whatever, you know, there's there's tons of advisors trying to get them as clients. So it, it, it's a little different dealing with jockeys. Um, I always compare people ask me what it's like and I always compare it to uh, to an actor and say, uh, you, you know how that actor does the superhero movie so he can make a lot of money to do his passion project. That doesn't make them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience with jockeys has been it's been a little more of a passion project than my superhero movie, but it's also where I enjoy working and enjoy helping them because there's definitely a need there. So your time at Capital Guardian ended um, after you know a really nice run. It kind of fell apart a little bit. Your next stop was it better or didn't live up to the experience that you hoped it would? When Capital Guardian got sold, it, it forced kind of forced our hand um, to everybody to move. So we were kind of scurrying and trying to do something quickly. There was a group of uh, a couple uh, institutional bond traders that decided to spin off, start their own BD. They wanted to control their destiny. Um, the COO went over to be their COO. Um, so I joined there as rep number one. You know, it, it, it wasn't the best move in hindsight, but uh, it was probably the only move at the time. I didn't want to go to one of the, the big the big groups, you know, one of the, the big uh, independent broker dealers. Um, I, I wanted to be part of a smaller group where they had maybe a little bigger of a product shelf because I do so many alternative investments and believe in that endowment style of investing. Um, so you know, it, 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 there was a, certainly a lot of hurdles there um, and they didn't grow the firm as they had planned to grow the firm. So that didn't work out like you hoped it would. And then you were introduced to Kingswood US. What about Kingswood made them an interesting choice? Well, it, it was interesting how I got introduced to them because I was looking at, I was looking to move 
and was going to join a firm that some of the Capital Guardian guys had, had moved over to in North Carolina. And they were looking to, for a New York City presence. So, and I got, I got a cold call from uh, Rifton Westbury, one of the, the head recruiters here at Kingswood. Um, and to be honest, I really took his call because I wanted to see what kind of deals they were offering and see if I could leverage it with the, with the North Carolina company. Um, in all honesty, that, that's why I took the call, found out that he, you know, he, he was a graduate of a prep school that my kids go to. So we had that common bond. Um, and the more I dug into to Kingswood, the more I liked what I heard. And then, you know, like we all do in the independent world, when you're looking at new DDs, you, you call your wholesalers. You know, they're the ones that work with all the different broker dealers. They hear the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and I had three different wholesalers, all unrelated to one another, that all came back to me and said, Matt, I know your business. I know how you do business. Kingswood's the perfect place for you. So, so that's when I really got a little deeper, deeper into, into Kingswood. Yeah. So what were some of those deeper factors that made the choice an easy one for you to do? Um, it, it, it was almost, uh, when I looked at it, it was almost, it was a lot like Capital Guard um, in a way. It was a team atmosphere. They're really helping you grow your business. You know, I think all broker dealers, especially when they're recruiting you, will sit there and, you know, put their hand on your back and say, we're your partner. I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. They, they really are my partner in helping grow the business, whatever we need to get done. Um, so that, that was the first thing. The second thing was, um, you know, all the pieces started, started being put together. When uh, I talked about the endowment style of investing, I used to give speeches on the endowment style of investing, but wanted to expand on that um, was when, you know, Doug Blake and Jamie Golden got involved and said, we can, we can really grow this and make it bigger. Let's start a multifamily office. Um, and introduced me to Rick and Patel, who coincidentally had joined the Kingswood the same week that I did. Um, we didn't know one another, and we live in the same town, about two and a half miles away from one another. Uh, and Rickon was a CPA and was the perfect, perfect uh, fit for the tax mitigation side, side of the family office. So right from the start, even as we were recruiting, we were talking about these ideas on how to grow. Um, and that, that's really what, what pushed me over the edge uh, with, with the sign with Kingswood. So not only does Kingswood have to sign you, but you have to sign your clients or get them to move with you. How many clients have you retained during your move? You know, I've been through a few moves and it was you know really difficult when I left Capital Guardian and then went to another firm for only a couple of years and then moved again. You know, sometimes that can be difficult conversations with clients. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I've retained 100% of my clients through each of my moves. I haven't, I haven't lost one. Um, and I think it's a testament to my relationship with the client, not the name on my business card. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, which was always my argument against going to one of the warehouses. You know, you could never convince me that if I slapped a warehouse name on my business card, that it would double or triple my business. Kingswood is, has also been a succession program for reps, which you're heavily involved in. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was uh, funny how some of that uh, happened. There was a, uh, an advisor that uh, Northern New Jersey guy who was a CPA in his 70s, who also joined uh, Kingswood about the same time that uh, Rickon and I did. And he was uh, he had a nice, very nice CPA practice and a wealth management practice. And Jamie thought it would be a good idea for us to, to meet. He thought 
you know, I could help grow his wealth management practice and also provide a succession plan for when Hank wanted to, uh, wanted to, to retire or slowly retire. And uh, it was really a nice fit, but it was all Jamie putting that together. So Matt, what's next? What are you excited about moving forward with Kingswood and for yourself? I'm really excited on the, on the family office side. It's taken a long time for us to set it up and, uh, and get it right. One of the great things about Kingswood is they'll allow us to use just about any platform we want to use. The, ne- the negative to, uh, to that is you have to do your due diligence on all the different platforms and all the different technology that's available out there. So that's taken a, a long time for us to, to make sure we get it right uh, out of the gates make sure the tax mitigation planning, our private equity planning is all lined up for the clients. And we're there, we're there now, you know, in the last six months we've gotten there. So I'm really excited for, you know, the train was sitting in the station for a long time. I'm really excited for it to be, uh, to be up and growing. And I'm excited for more succession planning too. I mean, I think Jamie's, Jamie's very good at um, knowing uh, the reps that we have here. And when he's recruiting, he can put the pieces together. You know, we've joked that Jamie can be the, the Tinder of Kingswood and uh, sits there in the office with oh the, recruits, the, the older recruits and the, uh, and the advisors. And he just knows how to, how to, how to match them up. Um, so uh, he, he's, he's very good at that. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why Kingswood will continue to grow like they have. But that, that's exciting for us as well in the family office side, because we think we can grow the family office with the right advisors and Jamie knows what he's looking for. Well, this train seems to be gaining lots of steam and going places, so we can't wait to see where it goes next. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Permission to Succeed team, this is Doug Heikinen.